0: welcome back to the minute women podcast my name is grace and i'm linnea we're finally back finally back (sighs) after a little hiatus i like it was nice to have a break yeah just to kind of collect our thoughts but now i've i've been waiting for this all day
1: oh 100 percent. this
0: has been like what i've been looking forward to i've been
1: so excited I've been so excited to come here and hear my own voice in my ears and talk about myself with you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we took a break because big things kind of just like happened in our lives. So we were just yeah. kind of like, you know what? The podcast has been going steady for a year. Yep. We're going to give ourselves a little vacation yep. and rejoice. In some good news that we got
1: exactly. Uh, so, do you want to share my good news, and I'll share your good news, so that okay. we, so that it's not so narcissistic.
0: That's, that's cute. That's cute. Okay.
1: <laughs> so I'll go. F- I'll go first. Okay. So Grace, after trial and tribulation, and Dal being difficult as hell uh
0: (laughs) academia in general just being slow yeah
1: yeah academia just being slow and you know pandemics and things slowing down things anyway grace was basically told like oh yeah We, we can't take you for the PhD program. And then Grace was sad and it was like whole like life revelation. But then because Dal's not an idiot, they were like, oh, actually, JK, we really want you in our FID program. Um, you're going to be a Grace McNutt FID. Um... uh and yeah and they gave grace uh offer to do her phd and so she's gonna be Woo-hoo. a doctor yeah I'm a not of doctor. medicine not of medical. don't no. touch me it'll,
0: it'll, <laughs> don't let me get anywhere near you with any kind of medical instrument or diagnoses yeah i don't um, know it
1: might go to your head once you have those three little letters after to your name you'll be like yeah i'll just measles. be measles <laughs> just walking down the street like house just, yeah i'm gonna have a
0: cane for no reason all of a sudden and just be giving diagnosing people with the most obscure things it's always like, lupus
1: can you can you take three steps backwards and two steps forwards? <gasps>
0: oh my god can he you has, come with me he has a flu <laughs> uh
1: yes yeah, so super crazy proud of you Thank um you. but also i want to say really proud of you for how you have handled yourself when there was a moment where you didn't know if you were going to be doing your phd because you just like you just like took it so in stride um and you like i mean it's all worked out and everything's great but you didn't let any kind of step back like set you back No, thank you just kept moving forward so
0: sweet i mean like yeah i feel like honestly doing this podcast has like helped a lot in that because it's just like i don't need anything but myself and like my friends to like create something cool i don't need like validation from some outside exactly and i'd also like to thank my boyfriend a lot eric because he just like sat with me while i cried for a day i had a day when i get bad news i have sad days (laughs) yeah i'm just like (laughs) all right i'm gonna like today i get to be sad i get to just cry and do nothing and feel bad for myself yeah and he just let me do that and like sit next to me and be like hey want some food i'm yeah.
1: like that might be good for me <laughs> <laughs> but after this sad day after this sad day you pulled on your big girl pants and you went right into the world and contacted our pals from canadian politics is boring yeah. and you found yourself a job yeah so now i'm also a podcast
0: producer over at podstarter which, which is, is really so fun. cool it's been really fun so far which is so cool yeah
1: so you not only dealt with adversity got into a phd <laughs> program you also get yourself a super cool job um and i'm so
0: proud and like speaking of super cool jobs so linnea i think linnea has had a really interesting character arc over the last 12 months <laughs> like if we were a tv show that would be this plotline people tune in every week to watch yeah because you know like i'd
1: uh, be the commercial the weekly she'd be commercial, the
0: commercial <laughs> yeah. like you know like linnea got out of a relationship sure and did. then during the pandemic and stuff because of her tiny baby lungs she had to like leave sure Halifax and go to lunenburg the, the safe haven that is lunenburg where covid didn't really happen much which is great (laughs) Um, and then kind of like had to adult a lot like really had to make some yep. really like strong decisions about like what is best for me right now and like my my future
1: not about what's fun
0: not about what's fun but what <laughs> what what's what needs to be done and so that meant like lots of jobs lots of different like little <laughs> things like different projects and then really like having like the highs and lows of like I have something and then I'm like oh wait this isn't what I thought it yeah. was gonna be but like it's a lot of work to just like Own up and be like, I was wrong. This isn't what's right for me. You know what I mean? And like, no one else can tell you that. No. You can only find that out by just like having the balls to do it in the first place. But after the trials and tribulations, (laughs) linnea has landed herself this sweet ass full time gig yep. as a brewery manager it's at Saltbox cool. Brewery down it's in Lunenburg cool. and Mahone um, Bay.
1: Yeah, so they so cool. So they're opening a new location. Uh, so Saltbox Brewery has been open in Mahone Bay. Jeez, I should. I, I'm not. I haven't started yet, so therefore I don't have to know how long they've been open. But there I want to say like, geez I want to say like like six years, maybe, maybe longer. I feel like they came in the second
0: wave of microbreweries. Yeah, oh,
1: 100%. Up. Um, And they opened a location in Bridgewater like two, three years ago. And they're opening a brand new location in Lunenburg. And so they, it was uh kind of someone I had known through previous work. And he is involved with the brewery and found out I was home in Lunenburg and was like you should apply for this and uh it all worked out very well. So uh we have our official real opening like May 2-4 weekend. So if you're in Ooh. Lunenburg, pop on down to Lightship Brewery. Um we'll be making cider and beer and serving it all and with a smile.
0: That's super cool. I I'm not sure when my my so my boyfriend is in Albert and he comes back and he yeah, has to quarantine fuck which Alberta. Sucks, obviously. But He will be quarantining in and will will be quarantining hopefully in and around the Maylong weekend. But if I'm not in quarantine, I know exactly where the fuck I'm gonna be. I don't know where she's gonna be. (laughs) Saltbox. I'm gonna be there a lot. Actually, I got a feeling. (laughs)
1: Good. I'm excited. So are your parents? That's what your parents told me. They're like, we're planning a trip. Um, to come to your brewery, and they never go to the south shore. <laughs> um,
0: Ugh. but that's so cool, and they have a—they're coming up with like a new beer for the Blue Nose, like for the centenary of the Blue Nose. So we have to do they the Blue Nose are, one. Soon.
1: Yeah, we'll do the Blue Nose one soon. Um, I've been talking to some of the people involved with uh the Blue Nose 100 committee, which. Politics are weird. Like anything, (laughs) anything with. Some might say they're boring. Oh, yes. (laughs) Anything with like. uh, Affiliation with government. So. This Blue Nose 100 beer for the like Centennial of the Blue Nose is in no way affiliated with the Blue Nose 2. Let me Absolutely make that very not. clear.
0: <laughs> That's Schooner beer um, and no other beer. <laughs> yeah.
1: So <laughs> there's been some very confusing mixed messages because <laughs> it's it, because the Blue Nose 100 beer and the Blue Nose 2, very different. Very different. Very different um not not affiliated at all i would love
0: <laughs> if like in the next couple of years they have like the blue nose is it a lager
1: yeah so it, they, it's going to be it is a it is a commemorative ale a
0: commemorative ale. um
1: and it's more on kind of the side of a a lighter a lighter kind of cream ale Ooh, um, i like that yeah yeah everyone goes lager Everyone goes. A cream longer. ale is great. Yeah, so it's like a cream ale, but I would say more of like a easy drinking cream ale.
0: Love that. Yeah, that's so good. But I would love if in a few years they like they're like
1: the or- you love the original Blue
0: Nose. <laughs> Absolutely, it tastes delicious. But you know what we're also going to do? We're going to tweak it a little bit. We're going to mix it up. And now we have the Blue Nose V2, like version <laughs> 2. It's like again, no way affiliated with the Blue Nose 2. Yeah. But the second Blue Nose beer. Yeah. Salt Fox Brew, 100%. <laughs> so we while we were on hiatus, Yeah. Oh, we
1: we were busy. Let we me tell busy. you. We were
0: <laughs> We were on the Canadian politics is boring. We're not podcast. dry. <laughs>
1: We're, we're we're warmed up. We're ready to go. We're
0: ready to go. This these vocals needed no warming up. <laughs> Just bubbly. Me 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 me. <laughs> um but yeah we were on canadian politics is boring we did an episode about the cult uh leader brother 12
1: yeah weird dude weird dude weird story
0: (laughs) we were held hostage oh yeah um that was fun that was fun time i have fond memories of my uh, time in captivity
1: thank you to everyone who bought merch to help get us
0: out of captivity so thank yeah to those who allowed us to pay our ransom to canadian politics is boring uh reese and jesse thank you so much yeah we appreciate you um Um, we were also on north and
1: normal podcast we were and we got to go there for a super cool little movie night um, and watched the bloody brood
0: yep yeah Yeah. which we talk about in our nat taylor episode we do um so we talked about that movie on this podcast and then we go watch that movie on the other podcast and then they surprised us with we're gonna come back for part two and kind of watch the spiritual successor of (laughs) the bloody brood which is the mask which was then later redone in the 90s starring jim carrey but the original it's like a Canadian film that was done in the sixties, so which was like I'm looking forward to the it.
1: first very successful, internationally successful, like Canadian film.
0: Yeah, that wasn't like a
1: documentary, exactly. So because us Canadians, it's also in three D. we know to to 3D. Yeah, like nineteen sixties three D. I'm so seventies. I'm so excited. Yeah, <laughs> very cool. What are we talking about it's today? Been a while,
0: so we've been gone a while. I know. I figured we'd come back
1: with a bang. Oh, I'm excited.
0: So today we are doing the Heritage Minute we talk the most about, but have not done, the midwife oh, Heritage Minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. I fucking hate this Heritage Minute. Can I just say that right <laughs> now?
1: <laughs> That's what this Heritage <laughs>
0: Minute is. She is so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> the daughter, who is already born, not the baby. Uh,
1: no, and she's like 14? She's
0: 14, and she's basically like getting a midwife. For her mom, who's having a baby in a cabin in the middle of the woods. She's an angsty
1: teenager. Yeah. Yeah. It's so just like, ang-
0: She's just convinced her mom is gonna die if they don't make it. Yeah. And there are like lots of hurdles to her like getting there, like having to walk through snow and falling
1: down well and apparently she becomes okay with the thought of her mom dying because she tries to give up like she
0: (laughs) she goes you're so right she goes from being (laughs) like i have to save my mom's life to "Eh." she's like let her go it's like it's fine i don't want a sister (laughs) but as a kid and really to this day anything having to do with childbirth makes me so uncomfortable i can't watch birthing scenes in film it just feels so invasive because i know in my life should i ever have a child i don't want anyone fucking there <laughs> i don't want my parents there i don't want any of my immediate fe- i want my partner there and a doctor the and guy nurses. who did this
1: to you you want him there he and can be that's there. it because
0: i understand that he has 50 percent stake in whatever is coming out of my <laughs> vagina but i don't want Anyone else there? Because it feels so invasive and like yeah. personal. And even as a child, I was like, I shouldn't
1: be watching this. This person's having a baby.
0: Yeah. Like, why would they want me
1: here? Why would they want? They wouldn't here. want me here. I remember my mom. They like asked her. Uh, she. It was a hard delivery when she had me, so I don't know what happened. But um when she had my sister, they like asked if she wanted the mirror to see the baby. And apparently, no. my mom was like hell no like get that away from me I don't want to I don't even want to look down there like (laughs) like I know that
0: there's kind of like this culture around like it's like an important moment in a woman's life and it's like a spiritual moment and I'm sure it is but I don't want to be there (laughs) knock me out (laughs) hit me with a club I don't care I don't want to go through it it's such a like (laughs) like I don't like going to doctors in general but that just feels like The most vulnerable moment of your life, and I hate that. Yeah. I don't like it. It makes me very uncomfortable. So, this Heritage Minute, as a child, I
1: would just be like, Yeah, this one felt like, this one felt like bad to watch. Like, the Titanic feels bad to watch because there's boobs. Like, this one was like, (laughs) It's just about like, vaginas. Yeah. It was like I'm comfy.
0: Yeah. Maybe I'm just repressed, but I'm comfortable in my repression, and it doesn't hurt anybody else. It doesn't. So I'm okay with that.
1: That's a good life lesson.
0: <laughs> Everybody can come see my baby after it's born and cleaned, and I'm feeling better. Yeah. You can come visit me in the hospital afterwards, but i not I was going to say when the baby's during. four. <laughs> you can come see my child when they're 18, and I
1: legally can't <laughs> isolate them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh god Uh,
0: and (laughs) the other thing is like this is this heritage minute isn't really about a person no it's like the rural teacher one where it's like this is a like a woman's occupation and so we're gonna highlight it so i just kind of had to do a history of midwife midwifery and how that played out in canada okay so that's what we're gonna do today so as the, is the case with like a lot of stuff in Canadian history, there is two perspectives on childbirth and midwifery. Okay. And that is an indigenous perspective. Yes. And a European perspective.
1: Two-eyed seeing, if you will. Two-eyed seeing. Yeah.
0: Very correct. Yes. Um. So there's really two histories that are happening that, interweave but for a long time they are in isolation so the heritage minute only looks at the european history yes so we're gonna do a brief little history of indigenous history of midwifery perfect which again it's also incorrect to say that there's an indigenous history of midwifery because there are a lot of different indigenous peoples in this country who all have different kind of traditions and and social customs around childbirth so
1: we're just going to talk about how people birth babies before we had doctors and hospitals yeah so western (laughs) hospitals yeah Yeah.
0: so this is vague um and probably incorrect to some extent just (laughs) an asterisk don't cite this in your paper Um, English and French colonial oppression damaged many of the aspects of First Nations health care, but resistance to this oppression has managed to maintain some of the ancient wisdom of midwifery. For indigenous peoples, the experience of childbirth was a social one that strengthened cultural and territorial ties as well as the transfer of traditional knowledge. Some okay. women were appointed to help those give birth. Indigenous midwives passed on their knowledge from one generation to the next. Some nations who spoke Iroquois languages or Haudenosaunee languages uh, even had a type of childbirth uh, preparation class. So there's history to to show that there was some sort of like formal training rather than just like personal experience. Like
1: for people going into this field or for expectant mothers?
0: So I think it's for expectant mothers, but it probably was also for
1: midwives.
0: That's super Um, cool.
1: Yeah. So, in the broadest
0: sense, which is what we ultimately have time for today, um, we can break down groups of of different indigenous experiences into, like, First Nations experiences, Inuit experiences, and Métis. Ooh, yeah, up in the cold. Yeah, crazy.
1: Yeah. That's the weirdest one, for sure. That sounds (laughs) like... I'm just going to throw that out there. Oh, gosh.
0: (laughs) In many First Nations societies, birthing was a woman-centered process. Like, I
1: don't want to be... I just want to state... I do not want to be cold when I have a baby. No. Like, that sounds like the People worst thing. People
0: who choose to be in, like, a tub. Ew.
1: The tub is going to get cold. I don't get... It's a long-ass time. And then you're also sitting in the tub with all of your fluids and the baby no, and, like, ugh. I'm
0: okay. I'm yeah. okay to go. Like, no,
1: thanks. I'm okay to just go to the hospital. No, thanks. I'm fine. Uh-uh. <laughs> I don't... I,
0: god Goddamn. It makes me so, like, <laughs> upsetty spaghetti. I, okay. <laughs> like, don't want to. Uh, like, I think I want kids, but I don't want to be pregnant. I don't want to give. Maybe I should just adopt. Maybe that's ultimately there's the There's lots best of babies that need good moms. Yeah. Maybe I'd be one. Who knows? <laughs> so, uh, for example, in Newfoundland, Mi'kmaq women gave birth in tents that were removed from the community and specially constructed for the purpose of giving birth. That sounds nice. In good weather, women gave birth in the open air in the woods, though this was not always the case. Further west, Anishinaabe babies were born in a moss bag, and the mother was given a broth of salmon or whitefish, supposedly to help with breastfeeding.
1: Excuse me, a a a moss bag? I imagine it's a bag lined with moss. You just put the bag down there, and you're just like
0: just like to catch and then you catch the baby. Gonna need those baskets back. (laughs) (laughs) I yeah, I guess so okay i saw this is not relevant i saw an internet hack where they make like a live bath mat with moss like it's living moss and it's a bath mat that sounds gross and i can't decide if it would be absolutely disgusting or like cool but i think it would be cool as like a wall thing but i don't think to step on no (laughs) you think i should make a moss bath mat let me know Uh In other communities and traditions, however, both genders played a role in uh, the birth of children. Okay. So, in some traditions, only women, like it was like a woman centric thing. In other ones, yeah. men can be there. For many Inuit women, they would modify their diet to help with pregnancy, increasing their intake of caribou, char, muktuk, and seal. Muktuk is a traditional Inuit or chukchi food consisting of frozen whale skin and blubber. Huh. So, like a whale popsicle nice it's not on a stick but it could be could be (laughs) foods that required preservation like berries would be limited in case they had spoiled so they don't want to risk you getting any botulism that's nice that's good that's thoughtful inuit men help their wives give birth children too were involved when no one else was available (laughs) it's like no one else is around so timmy you gotta go (laughs) help your mom give birth he's like i'm three You were born yesterday, <laughs> but now you have to help someone give birth. <laughs> birth occurred in the snow or an animal skin tent, and women who assisted were called sanaji in some dialects of the Inuktitut language. The sanaji is the helper who first touches the baby and becomes the one who is entitled to bestowing certain skills and characteristics on the newborn. So they're kind of like a godmother for the rest of the baby's life That's cool. in a spiritual way. I don't know how that would play out in an actual like society, right? Thing, so in the pond inlet area, Inuit women gave birth all alone, guided by instructions given from an outs someone outside her dwelling. Oh so she's totally Oh my alone.
1: god. Nope. 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 like no, you're no. saying you don't want anyone in the room? Like not quite to that extent. Yeah, not to that extent. Like I don't want <laughs> to have to I'm not like,
0: doing this shit alone. No, I want someone else to know what they're doing.
1: Yeah. 100%. And then have nobody else there. <laughs> Ew. Oh god. Like, are they there in case, like, something goes terribly wrong and she, like, passes out and they need to, like, be there?
0: Yeah, so it's supposedly, like, labor would be carefully monitored through yeah. a series of questions um that <laughs> are aimed at encouraging a short delivery. How
1: are you feeling? Yeah, but, like, wouldn't it be easier for you to just be in there? Exactly. I'm sure it's, like,
0: a custom, re- like,
1: religious thing, but so still. So, I have an interesting experience with pregnancy. I have not had a child. I have not been pregnant. However, I was 15 when my mom... Uh, was pregnant with my sister and let me tell you that is the best birth control that you could ever bestow upon a young lady Uh, pregnancy itself like I'm not even talking about birth is disgusting it's awful. It is gross. You like lose full control of your body. Yeah, your body is literally being attacked from the inside by a parasitic growth stealing all of your energy, all of your food, all of your joy. Yep. Okay?
0: And then your biology has been trained to love it. Yeah.
1: All with the hope that <laughs> That's it, the real all Stockholm with the Syndrome. hope <laughs> that it's gonna come out with these big juicy little eyes and be like Mama. <laughs> yeah okay like pregnancy is weird i i did not stay in the room for my mother to have my sister it was just my mom and paul um i mean i was offered but my mom was like you don't want you don't want this no my mom was like you don't want any part of this because you also can't help there's nothing you can do and i don't need to see my mom like that no
0: She's at the like that's the thing like i'm gonna be at
1: you're so vulnerable i will be so
0: happy but I will also be at my physical lowest. <laughs> so please don't come. This episode is going to be entitled like midwifery and Grace and Linnea have a crisis. <laughs> yeah. um, so in Métis communities, because Métis people are a product of like the intermingling between First Nations and Europeans, they have some traditions that are very indigenous and other traditions that are very European right Um, so you can draw comparisons between First Nations and Inuit communities early trading Métis communities often had help from two sources so the traders that were trading uh, and trained in a European style of medicine but then also First Nations medicine and medical chests as with many First Nations and Inuit communities there was often one woman or midwife in Métis communities in charge of reproductive health for women and babies this role was taught, not inherited, and often it was held by a childless woman who became like a godmother to most of the children in the community. Oh, sad. Yeah. I don't know if it's just like a, if you're a midwife, you can't be married, like kind of that hierarchical structure of like right. once you marry, you don't work. From the First World War on, uh, hospital births became more and more accessible to ordinary people. And by mm-hmm. the 1950s, almost all births in North America were occurring in hospitals. So this change in attitude inevitably affected First Nations and Indigenous health care. Whereas midwifery had been the customary, respected practice even among the colonists, the emphasis on supposedly necessary modern medical interventions was spread by doctors to Indigenous health services. The result was that many ancient birthing and midwifery practices have been lost, and few Indigenous midwives are left to pass along Indigenous knowledge in this or other areas right the removal of births from many indigenous communities has had profound spiritual and cultural consequences which are difficult to quantify the loss of tradition traditional birthing practices has been the link to a loss of cultural identity
1: now to me having a baby in a hospital that seems like a personal decision so was this decision made by or or did doctors come in and say oh like it's not safe to have your baby here And you have to come to the hospital or
0: yeah I mean there were probably still the option of like a house birth but you probably still would have a doctor come and in the case of indigenous communities and reserves Mm. they build Indian hospitals in a lot of
1: cases yeah you're not gonna do it into a moss bag
0: yeah yeah like it was probably seen as like there's a pregnant woman so we're just going to like intervene and give her the medical services that we deem are necessary right um so there in a lot of cases there is probably just no longer the choice right and then after a generation or so now people don't know how like that that whole that knowledge of knowledge is just gone
1: like my mother is just a very cynical human being like she has never (laughs) she has never played it up as like oh it's like the most magical experience in the world she's like being your mom is a really cool great experience yeah. like being a, like being peyton's mom being like both of your moms like that's really cool mm-hmm. but like all that is just a means to a baby that uh, to raise like and it's not yeah. like <laughs> and yeah. i
0: think like my mom has been the same like i never she's she's a very private person like she never really talks about what it, she she has like general stories but usually the stories about her giving birth are like she almost had my baby brother on the mcdonald bridge column
1: Aiden? Aiden? We were on the
0: way to the hospital. Were you there? I wasn't there, sorry. Oh. They were on the way to the hospital. Both times my mom gave birth to my brothers, I just woke up in the morning and someone else was there. Oh, nice. Like, my parents just were gone. They left in the night. It was funny. Yeah, one time she, when she was giving birth to Aiden, she almost had him on the bridge. She thought, anyways. She was just like, this baby, I, I it's gotta happen in the car.
1: And Mitch is like, um, squeeze your knees shut, Catherine.
0: <laughs> and it was because my uncle he was the guy on call like my my aunt and uncle to come and watch me and ben and so she like called them in the night and my uncle he's, he's from New Zealand so he's just like hello Don Alda um, <laughs> and my mom was like hi Don it's like we're having the baby we have to go blah 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 and he was like alright be there <laughs> up, went back to sleep like oh, didn't, no. like answered the phone in his sl- like no. sleep and just went back to bed and so he didn't get there until like way later oh, anyways no. Oh, no. <laughs> as a child I made a lot of things about me. Um <laughs> as a child? As a child, uh, uh now okay. I at least keep that to myself. Okay. But it was really bad. Both times I was told that Aiden and Colum were boys, I cried. Oh no. Both times. I was like, "Oh no." I like I remember being told that Colum was a boy and then getting under the kitchen table and just <laughs> cried. <crying. laughs> We're now kind of, like, in the sphere of, like, the European tradition, which is also very diverse. So to say there's, like, a European tradition is a little, like, dicey. Okay. Um, But during the Middle Ages in Western Europe, people relied on medical knowledge from the Roman and Greek philosophers. These medical philosophers focused primarily on the health of men, and women's health issues were very understudied. Okay. Thus, these philosophers did not focus on the baby, and they encouraged women to handle women's issues. (laughs) Huh. It's like, but what about childbirth?
1: Uh, uh, deal know. with it.
0: That doesn't really affect us, yeah, it's like, but you were a baby, and you were born. Mm, no,
1: but did you know I have a penis, so it's not really my issue. <laughs> um John a. McDonald Barf is in the corner. it's <laughs> <laughs> just talking about babies. I'm just drunk.
0: <laughs> a male's reputation was actually negatively affected if he associated with or treated pregnant patients. <laughs> It's like I just imagine like some shitty frat boy. I'm about to say something off color. But it's just like that's fucking gay
1: like, <laughs> to deal with like a pregnant woman. Um, does this the preface? Grace, Grace just the preface gonna say something off color. I'm gonna say that something off color. But... I loved that. That was cool. I don't... But yes, yes, a hundred percent. It's so stupid. Yeah.
0: Um, So, male physicians did not engage with pregnant patients, and women had a place in medicine as midwives. So, there is this, like, because men won't deal with it, there's this vacuum that women are allowed to fill as midwives. It's, like, the only acceptable position for women in medicine, basically.
1: Nurses are midwives. Yes. You can help, or you can touch the vagina.
0: Or you can do the gross stuff that I don't want to do. Yeah. There was also an opposition to men being involved in childbirth, because they were not supposed to associate with female genitalia. So it was also like, don't look at her vagina that's bad. Excuse me? You know. But it's medicine. You know. It's
1: when it's okay.
0: <laughs> it's, this is when it's okay. But no, they're like, ah, scary. I don't know if it's scary. It's probably just like tainted.
1: Ugh. It's almost like history is almost like if it was for a medical purpose it was gross but if it was for like rape like that was fine well yeah like seeing a vagina it. when it's your choice like <laughs> go for it but seeing a vagina when it's her choice because she's about to have a baby and needs someone to like see how dilated she is it's like oh no no thank you that's yeah
0: it's also interesting because our perception of what nudity is changes a lot over time like exposed breasts was not considered vulgar for a large chunk of Western history, because yeah. that's just a matter of like day to day life. Yeah, is like someone will be breastfeeding, or it's just hot. Like yeah. exposed breasts. At least in some societies, it's not deemed this really bad thing. But yeah. like in Victorian society, so like in Victorian society, a bunch of cleavage, totally fine. Leg, no, no. It, but it's like this weird. There was this thing. queen
1: or princess who had like a favorite boob. And she used to get nice. her garments cut out so that y- her favorite boob would be like exposed. I love that. It's relatable. She content. used to get special because j- she just like liked one boob a lot more than the other. So well, she yeah. would get her dresses tailored because that was like her good boob. And so like for like day to day wear <laughs> She's for formal events she'd like cover it up, but for like day to day wear all her clothes like allowed that boob to like be, to be exposed. Out. Um, I'm just pulling up a picture. Her name was Agnes Sorel. She lived in 1422.
0: Will you please tell everybody what you Google to get
1: that picture, though? I searched princess with favorite boob.
0: There we go. Yeah. <laughs> princess.
1: Um, there she is. Uh,
0: so it's this mindset that allows women to continue the practice of midwifery, even into the medieval era, when there's really starts to be this consolidation that it's a, medicine is for men and not women. Yeah. It is suggested that most midwives came from uh, lower classes or were illiterate. Um, like the
1: help? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah midwives were not required to be literate and therefore many midwives weren't this suggests that the field of midwifery did not require prior formal education additionally midwives differed from female surgeons and barbers because their spouses were not typically men who practiced medicine oh right
1: because barbers used to cut people open yes
0: barbers used to be a medical field and there were female surgeons and barbers in some societies
1: because barbers was just cutting they just had like the sharpest tools in town right yeah like a so yeah
0: barbers mostly about knives like bloodletting and amputations yes yeah that is my understanding and there's obviously a lot of overlap between what a surgeon does and what a barber does but typically they would get into the field because their husbands were also surgeons or barbers and so they would either learn from them or they would just well they'd just be around a lot so they'd be helping yeah um but that wasn't the case with midwives obviously okay Uh, that it's more of like an independent decision of like how you come to be one during the late middle ages a few books were written for teaching midwifery uh for both women and men prior to this point midwife manuals contained outdated information and were written by individuals who studied medical theory without uh physician's influence so they're just like This is what I know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Midwives learned their craft from other women within their communities and from their own childbearing experiences because there was a lack of training within the field. This absence of training can be attributed to the lack of texts on the topic. Thus, midwives often taught upcoming midwives through their personal experiences. From the time they were small girls, women who would later become midwives were present at the birth of their siblings, and they observed the birthing process performed by the midwife or other female family members. Within medieval art, the midwife was shown with her medical instruments, but rarely in the act of her practice. Commonly, the midwife's tools included scissors, linens, trays, baskets, and a birthing stool
1: okay for which, her to
0: sit on is that what she sits on i'm not sure because tech, like there's a lot of for a long time women like don't they like squat to have a baby they yeah. don't lay lay down which apparently is what you're like the body is designed to do yeah. supposedly i don't know okay i don't know
1: <laughs> that sounds yucky <laughs>
0: midwives were involved with births from all social classes to varying degrees the poorest women were typically helped by the women in their family and the neighbors more than the midwives from the town in towns government compensated midwives with tax exemptions or small pensions sometimes for their service to the community so i don't like you probably did have to pay for the service but it's probably not that also it's just like they're giving birth and this is all they have yeah like you're probably not going to be like no yeah you know what i mean get out of here so there is like this customary exemption of taxing for some midwives in some places okay this compensation placed a lot of emphasis on a midwife's reputation in more exceptional cases if a midwife had a really respected reputation they could sometimes serve as a court midwife so like a court would be like you are the queen's midwife
1: oh that's cool yeah I bet they had to be able to read. Probably,
0: okay. <laughs> I, I, but it is interesting because it seems to be purely based on reputation. Because it's not like you went to this school and came right. out of this program, so you're our midwife. It's like,
1: it's like six of her babies lived, two of yours died. You've been through the ringer. Yeah, you're and picked.
0: like these babies are alive. It's They're like picking teams in
1: dodgeball. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> this involvement included working for individuals like the French Queen. So, like the French court had a had a midwife witchcraft became associated with midwifery when unsuccessful pregnancies became apparent to of the course. society of course yeah so like if a lot of babies are dying they're like the babies don't have measles it's the
1: midwife dun 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 which i'm sure there were
0: shitty midwives but also it's, they're I'm not a witch sure they there just <laughs> shitty midwife. midwives with
1: measles because we didn't have vaccinations or anything to protect us from having those things
0: yeah exactly yeah so but it's not a witch <laughs> no Reliance on naturalistic remedies and a lack of training caused rural midwives to have many unsuccessful deliveries during this time. When birds were consistently unsuccessful, the accusations of witchcraft would begin. Of course. There's also this societal thing of like, she's an independent woman.
1: Not so, married, no kids. Not married,
0: no kids. Witch. If she felt the need to spite us for some reason, yeah. she really could easily
1: do that Witch. Yeah. So tie some chains on her and throw her in the ocean. Oh, dead. Not oh. a
0: witch. She wasn't a witch, but she is dead. Yeah. Sad. So, well. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> in the 17th century, the first settlers were arriving in Canada and depended on the experience of midwives to help mothers give birth. The importance of midwives is evident. In 1691, the government of Quebec established three autonomous branches of medicine. These were physicians, surgeons, and midwives. Okay. Okay. From 1755 to 64, the British government paid the wages of midwives from England who settled in Nova Scotia to encourage their immigration. So they're like, we need farmers, we need people, and we need midwives. Yep, like, those are the people we want to settle. We want to populate Scotia.
1: this farmland and ocean side. Yep, <laughs> we got some midwives.
0: But conflicts were arising between midwives and other medical professionals, aka ver- women versus men. Right, um, naturally. Throughout the Western world. From the 18th century, medical men began to assert that their modern scientific techniques were better for mothers and infants than the folk medicine practiced by midwives. As doctors and medical associations pushed for a legal monopoly on obstetrical care, midwifery became outlawed or heavily regulated throughout the United States and Canada. From 1872 to 1881, compulsory certification for midwives... Uh, was introduced in nova scotia new brunswick and quebec and of course these kinds of legislative acts are presented as avenues for safety but the reality was it was male medical associations creating barriers for the advancement of midwives Hmm. so it's one of those things where it's like okay now you need a license to be a midwife right and it's like you're just adding barriers but yeah and it's not midwives coming up with the certification process it's not midwives saying there's a crisis where we have a bunch of midwives who are saying they are and in reality they're not and a bunch of babies are dying yeah there's no crisis in the field it's just externally they're like well what if they needed licenses yeah and that way there won't be as many of them yeah and the generational knowledge of midwives was critical to mother and baby health because I'm not sure if our listeners are aware, childbirth fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like you're just cutting off this like generations and centuries of knowledge yeah. for a new field of science, which I'm sure there are practices from the scientific field that you can apply to midwifery. For sure. But it's not, it's not reasonable. It's not one or the other. Yeah, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And and because in reality, it's not about what's best for the mothers and children. It's about doctors wanting more power and more money. Yeah. So when men and women married in the 1800s, they generally assumed that children would follow very promptly and regularly. And (laughs) regularly. The prevailing sense was that children just came and there was a little to be done about it. So you're not supposed to impede the fact that people are going to have a lot of children. Okay. <laughs> it's just going to happen. It's just how it is. Women were encouraged to see motherhood as both a destiny and a duty. Oh, my God. And letters and diaries from the time suggest that many tried earnestly to do so. Oh, so wow. f- women feel a lot of pressure to become pregnant yeah. after they get married. Families were large with an average of six to eight children. Uh, but averages can be misleading. So families with many more children were common at the time. Um the main determinants of family size at this time was age of marriage and age of menopause that's basically the only thing that's going to decide how many kids you have oh my lord (laughs) women who married in their early or mid-20s uh in other words could expect to bear children continuously (sighs) until their mid-40s that is just that's life (laughs) constantly pregnant
1: disgusting
0: So the intervals between children would vary from woman to woman, mm-hmm. but most could expect to have a new baby every two to three years over this span of time. So if you get married when you're 25 and you hit menopause when you're 45, yeah, then you can expect to have, what, that's 20 years, you could have like 10 kids. Yeah. That's like one every two years-ish. Yeah.
1: Ugh. Wow. Nope. <laughs> no <laughs> thing. That's a lot. Ugh.
0: In the 1800s, childbirth was both painful and dangerous. Yeah, the only pain relief available was opium, usually sold as a sleeping draught known as laudanum. Laudanum. We should try probably it. Probably like diluted. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably comes from that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but this was almost never used. Okay. Which is good. Don't don't use opium, but also like. Some opium you know, would have
1: probably been nice. Let <laughs> me some. Um,
0: <laughs> It was widely believed that women were destined to suffer during childbirth, oh my God. as the Bible had decreed.
1: Oh, the Bible! So it's like we're, your original we're sin. we back to that.
0: So in some ways, you're paying for the original sin of conception through the pain you experience during childbirth.
1: My God,
0: fuck men.
1: Yeah, fuck them. Like <laughs> fuck, em. fuck
0: you. What do they have to do? Nothing. What does the Bible say about them? In the 70s, <laughs> when
1: my grandmother when my grandmother had her children in the 70s. I guess my mom was born in 70, but my uncle was born in 67. Okay. And in 67, my grandfather was not invited to the hospital. Not even around. Like, he dropped my grandmother off, and he came and he picked her up two days later.
0: Jesus.
1: Yeah. And that was his firstborn son. Like, men didn't stay. That wasn't a thing. He then went off and, like went and did something with like his buddies like oh like helen's having a baby
0: almost all babies were born at home usually with the assistance of family and friends there were also women who practiced as midwives although there was no formal training and most midwives were experienced women who had borne several children themselves doctors were generally only called when births were prolonged and it was feared that the mother might die but their interventions brought grave risks Hmm. There were instruments for the use in childbirth, but no anesthetics or understanding of antisepsis, which yeah. meant the danger of infection from medical intervention was very high. Ugh. Training in obstetrics was rudimentary at best and was not compulsory for doctors until much later. Yeah. So They're also like intervening, but they also don't know what they're doing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm d- Like it just makes me, Um, I don't have a weak stomach, but just thinking about like i'm okay the hacking like <laughs> i don't know i don't know like, how do you help like i don't know i just don't Break know my pelvis. <laughs> <laughs> well, like karate chopping i'm just thinking i don't know i don't want
0: to ouch. know ouch so much ouch they always say like what is in their toolkit it's like well scissors obviously i'm like yeah Ugh. 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 no
1: it's thank, thank you no when, thank you when my mom had my sister, she she didn't have drugs with me, not by choice. It was just like things moved very quickly and there mm-hmm. like wasn't time and it was the 90s and anyway. Uh, But when she had my sister, there's like a list they give you before so that they know your wishes when you're in like sound mind. Gotcha. My mom was like, check, check, check. Like I remember her specifically like drawing a happy face with like an (laughs) exclamation point and being like, I want them all. And let me tell you, Lori had them all. (laughs) Did she get a a spinal tap thing that they do? Yeah, an epidural. (gasps) (gasps) Did Um, she did? Oh, Grace, that's a story for another day. Okay. But it was, what time is it?
0: (laughs) This is already a long one.
1: That was a scene. That poor man who gave my mother that epidural. She was high as a kite when it came time for the epidural. Okay. Well, that's good anyways. And so, oh yeah, but she has a scar and her yeah. leg, her one leg, her left leg was asleep for two days. Yeah. Like she couldn't like move it herself. There's it. there's crazy risk, crazy high risk. Also,
0: if you get epidural, it's harder to like push. Yeah. So it's a longer birth.
1: Well, there was a, there was a huge, like, there was a not huge there's a bit of a language barrier issue between her and the i guess it's the anesthesiologist who gives the epidural a doctor who gives needles um for pain but anyway she's trying to get this epidural he's like arch your back so she's arching her back and Mm. he's like no arch your back she's like that's curving your back she's like i'm arching my back and she's high and paul's like poor man he's he's the same age i am at this point Ugh. and he's like laura you have to focus and she looks at him dead in the eye and she goes paul you have to focus <laughs> and paul was like oh my god like i'm done <laughs> yeah it was a scene but yeah she got one of those she got all the drugs she Whoa. was so drugged peyton came into the world and <laughs> mom was high high is
0: okay. <laughs> that's the experience i want yeah
1: <laughs> yeah she th- nobody asked if it was what it was for like 5 minutes.
0: Oh, so they just like yeah, had a baby. They were just know. like
1: excited that like the baby was like fine or whatever. And That's then apparently good. like 5 minutes later Paul was like, "Um, can someone can is it Is it a girl? And they were like, yeah. And he was like, oh, cool.
0: (laughs) My mom was very convinced my youngest brother was going to be a girl. And so when she she thought she'd get two and two. Yeah. She just like she just felt it, too. She just like because it was in this weird period where they wouldn't tell you in ultrasounds. Unless you well, now you pay, I guess, to find out. But at the time, there was like this very xenophobic belief that if they told Chinese parents what the child would be, that they would get abortions. Very xenophobic, very awful. We're not great. Yeah. But um, we're not good people. We're not good people. Uh, so they weren't telling people. She knew with Aiden because it was just, like evident in the ultrasound. But it's like,
1: oh, that's a penis. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, but with Colin, they didn't know going in. And so my mom, when he was born, she just had this like feeling that it was going to be a girl. And so when they're like, it's a boy, she was like, really? She was just like, you sure? And the doctor was like, uh, yeah pretty sure so did she know for you and ben going in <laughs> she knew for both of us oh really or maybe not for ben but definitely for me
1: mom didn't know for me or peyton yeah she know.
0: was certain for me and aiden at the very least okay they like the question of like if you were a boy what was your name gonna be i have no idea because they just like knew that i was gonna be a girl from oh, very cool. early on i probably would have wound up being named aiden <laughs> probably <laughs> probably aiden yeah so yeah there's not a lot of understanding of like how to keep it sanitary so infection is very high and therefore death rates in hospitals were known to be extremely high so if you go in for a long time there's this negative connotation about having a baby in a hospital you should try to have it at home the main dangers for women in childbirth were prolonged birth excessive bleeding and infection like those are the the three killers (laughs) Prolonged births were often followed when labor began with infants uh, in the breech, so feet first. Right. um, Or far worse, in traverse, sideways position. Yeah. Which I don't even know how, that's just you're gonna die i was
1: sideways really yeah what the hell i was sideways so they had to go in with forceps oh, which no. is my mom describes as very large salad tongs yep um and so my mom swing you around my mom got rid of all the pictures from like my first week being alive because i had a big cut over my oh, eye because no. where the forceps got me and i was really bruised oh, and my mom was just baby. like you didn't look cute <laughs>
0: Scarface. She's like,
1: she's like oh, I knew you were cute. Yeah, and I just needed to face. wait until you were healed so other people could see how cute you were. And my mom's not like that, so it's very funny. But she's like, I didn't want anyone taking pictures of you like that. It's not fair to you. Yeah, she's like, it wouldn't. No, it would, like, you wouldn't have liked that. But yeah, I apparently had a big gash over one of my eyes and it, like, wouldn't open when I was, like, fresh. But right. it I'm fine now. Well, so, like in your
0: situation their attempts would be made at trying to turn the babies that's what they were trying to do yeah but they were rarely successful very not very high rates of success another common problem at this time was narrow or deformed pelvises which was usually caused by childhood rickets so if you had a rickets as a kid what's a rickets rickets is i believe it's a deficiency of vitamin d oh um but it it has an effect on the shape of your bones Oh, huh, interesting. Um, so that's why they include vitamin D in milk.
1: Oh. So you
0: get vitamin D and then you can, vitamin D is what allows you to absorb calcium. It's also So in, you can be eating calcium yeah. but not absorbing it. It's also
1: it. like in prenatal vitamins. Yeah, yeah. Vitamin D is important.
0: Probably good for the baby.
1: Yeah. For the little babe.
0: <laughs> if you had rickets as a kid, you have probably had a malformed pelvis. Weird. Which is going to make it extremely painful yeah. when giving birth. Um, in extreme cases, where it became clear that after two or more days in labor that a child could not be born, a doctor might attempt to use instruments to either pull the child free or to crush the child and
1: remove it. <gasps> oh God, no! Fuck, thank no. you. I'm done. I'm, I'm done.
0: done. We, I wrote more, but we're done. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but yeah, it's no, just I'm like, fine with that. <laughs> no, uh, uh. Uh, often the baby was already dead at this stage oh god and there was a strong chance that the mother would also die god uh, from either shock or infection if this didn't happen so this is obviously like a last resort but it would happen
1: so if i had been born then we'd both be dead because my mom like she had me i was crooked like i was crooked i don't know i was i was in (laughs) there wrong and then what happened was they like got me out and then i had the whole little baby lung issue so they couldn't figure out why yeah i wasn't like breathing right and then my mom hemorrhaged so that's like the trifecta of the things you talked about yeah no bye 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 bitch yeah so she like so this is this is 1994 and she almost didn't And it make was it. yeah no like no. it was very touch and go we like, were in the hospital for a week the, so
0: the rate of like death for childbirth is still like way too high it's way too high. for me to be comfortable taking that risk <laughs> <laughs> anyways yeah no it's bad it was yeah real bad um these were decisions made in desperate circumstances uh, when there was no other option or hope. Uh, and again, success rates are very low. Yeah. Excessive bleeding was another common problem Ugh. and is still a risk in childbirth, <laughs> but modern, modern obstetrics has uh, recourse to like drugs and other ways to control blood flow. So blood transfusions it, while it's, and such. It's still the most common problem and the biggest risk in birth, but it's obviously a lot less than
1: in oh, the 1800s. That's another thing. My mom needed a blood transfusion when she had me. And wouldn't have it because it was 1994 and the tainted blood AIDS, AIDS scandal crisis. had just <gasps> happened. And it was literally happening. And so my mom at 24 years old in a Holy like pain ridden state was like, no, you can't give me a blood transfusion. And the doctor was like, are you, you sure? And she was like, you can't give me a blood transfusion. And they were like, OK, like as long as you start to get better, like, we'll." will like not give you a blood transfusion but yeah. if you get to a point where like you can no longer like make this decision we're giving you one and my mom was like okay but yeah so like whoa so crazy yeah that's crazy i didn't even think of that yeah that's so my crazy. mom was like no like no blood transfusion because Ugh. this was like what a what decision was to make
0: too oh huh. god like, just had a baby and now i need to make a decision about my yeah. own
1: life <laughs> i'm gonna pass out
0: <laughs> in the 19th century there were almost there was almost nothing a midwife or dr could do to stop post-birth hemorrhaging and many women literally just bled to death gross like they just have no recourse to like help you infection was another great uh risk in childbirth <laughs> god damn it women are very susceptible to infection during and immediately after giving birth yeah um, your whole immune system just like and this would just fucked. be called childbed fever <laughs> okay Even an otherwise problem-free delivery was no guarantee of safe recovery from childbirth, but prolonged birth, um, retention of the placenta, or any other form of surgical intervention increased risk significantly. Childbed fever generally set in two or three days after giving birth, but once established had almost an inevitable outcome. The actual cause of death was blood poisoning uh, or sepsis. Yeah. Generally between a week and 10 days after delivery. Oh, my God. Maternal mortality rates remained high uh, throughout, like, the British colonies well into, like, the 20th century.
1: Yeah. Just, nope thanks <laughs> women
0: in particular but also men approached each birth with trepidation so there's yeah. just like there's this culture of fear
1: <laughs> yeah giving birth a hundred percent
0: many women routinely prepared themselves for death yeah and the terms they used to describe their approaching lying in reflected this so this, that's what they call labor lying in oh my um because it's just such a casual term you're just like it's like, all right, I'm going to take to bed for a week. <laughs> Goodbye, forever. And when uh, I come out, forever. I will have a sweet child, um, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> childbirth was often described uh, as women's time of trial.
1: Oh my what god, the- I hate it so much. I mean, like it is. Um, yeah, it but-, is,
0: but also just. Bleh. Um. So in one instance, there is a ship captain who's traveling to South Australia uh in 1836 and he leaves a very pregnant wife is this like a fable
1: Britain. or is this real this is a real okay. story this is a story
0: <laughs> um and in his diary uh he referred to his wife's trying hour on one or more occasion he calls it her trying hour of nature's sorrow so he's like worried about his wife but this is what they call it is oh the my trying God. hour <laughs> children were often sent to stay with friends or family as the birth approach so that they wouldn't be around oh, the other kids to like hear their mom crying out in pain but also just so they're not in the way like you just you gotta get out yeah. of the house sometimes they would be unaware that another baby was even expected until they just returned home and there
1: was a the baby just like you <laughs>
0: <laughs> the church of england provided a special rite of thanksgiving for women who survived childbirth uh, rather quaintly entitled the thanksgiving of women after childbirth commonly called the churching of women the churching of women (laughs) there was also a persistence of the belief that women were unclean after childbirth a continuation of uh, an old kind of views of like menstruation that women so women couldn't like go to church okay like there's like there are like i don't know how they would know yeah i guess but like women aren't supposed to be in church during like Or they're not supposed to receive sacraments if they're on their period. I don't know, man. Stupid. It's so stupid.
1: The church is so dumb. So dumb.
0: (laughs) The use of pain relief in childbirth increased uh, gradually towards the end of the 1800s. So now we're starting to see drugs. Oh, good.
1: Thank (laughs) God. Queen Victoria
0: famously pioneered the use of chloroform (laughs) during her eighth labor. So also queen a bunch of babies yeah like 12 maybe bunch of babies, 13 but
1: also a badass
0: also a badass also used chloroform in 1854 just knock me out yeah uh <laughs> and this helped popularize the practice uh but many doctors still opposed its use which that makes sense yeah it
1: makes sense <laughs> i'm not saying it's good for you but i'm not saying childbirth is good for you so pick your battle <laughs> pick your battles honestly <laughs> Oh, Queen Victoria. Similarly,
0: a better understanding of infection and the gradual acceptance of principles of antisepsis in surgery and childbirth from the middle decades of the century helped to reduce infection rates. Towards the end of the century, there was also a growing sense that many women's lives might be saved if women could be delivered under medical supervision in hospitals. So that's kind of when the shift starts to happen. Right. However, the greatest change in the childbearing process was just the significant reduction of numbers of births per women.
1: Okay. So that
0: is the, the best thing you can do is just don't. Just don't. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and this began to be evident by the mid-1870s. Uh, okay. This is what's known as the fertility transition, a transition from high levels of natural f- fertility to low levels of controlled fertility. Right. Kind of in like the 1880s. So now contraception is becoming... More widely available to some people, whether you're doing it medically or yeah. whether you're purposefully just like not having sex yeah. at certain times to try and prevent it. This was a phenomenon. That spread throughout the Western world from the later decades of the 19th century. In the absence of any significant advance in the technology of birth control at this time, historians now suggest that this phenomenon represented a generalized cultural change. Mm. Couples increasingly saw smaller families as the desired norm and and modified their sexual practices accordingly. Well,
1: I'm also going to like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I feel like that would be women making that decision and maybe not – I feel like that would be a tough conversation for a lot of husbands.
0: I will say that there is an understanding of how you don't get pregnant, though. Yeah. Like, people know how you get pregnant. So, there are ways of having sex. Without getting pregnant. And not getting pregnant. Or at least, like, hedging your bets. Yeah. And so, there. I think there is a bit of a – because there's this – For some, like, lower-class families, you might need to go... Like, the woman might need to go work. Yeah. Or you just don't have the expectation that you're going to be able to to have enough to provide for a large family. Like, for a long time, you have a lot of kids because you need them financially. You need them to help you work. Yeah. And in an urban setting, a lot of kids is actually worse. But in a a rural setting, you have kids, so they help you on the farm. And they, like, can help you develop this. So it's a a really big shift in family expectations.
1: My grandmother's father. So, he and his wife, he had two kids from a previous marriage and then he married my great-grandmother and they had six kids. Mm. And after their fourth, after their fourth, she went to the doctor to get birth control and he went down to the doctor and he punched him out and he said that his wife would ha- stop having kids when god damn well intended her to. Woof. And he That's called uh, abuse. Yeah. <laughs> so, on her sixth kid, she was actually diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and she says oh, that no. that, like, saved her life because she, like, they had to, they had to, like, give her hysterectomy, and uh, she said, like, to me when I was six, like, I, I heard her say this, uh, that if she hadn't have gotten ovarian cancer, it was the best thing that happened to her because her husband's been dead in the ground for however long, and she's like, and I'd still be having babies. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, granny. Holy <laughs> shit. No, well, yeah, like. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's a very Catholic thing. I don't know what it's like in other hundred percent Christianity, but like yeah. contraception
1: is the devil.
0: Very yeah, the devil's it's like, pill because it's literally like you saying you want to have sex and not have children. Yeah, it's the that's the only reason you should have sex is to have children. So nope, by saying that, it feels good. Well, <laughs> not in the eyes of God.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and only sometimes. Let's
0: be clear. Yeah, but anyways, it's that's kind of like a shift that's taking place, and women's. Increasing emancipation in these decades is argued to be an important contributing factor to having fewer kids. For sure. There were still many families that were large by modern standards, but these began to be seen as kind of like anachronistic. It's not modern. An
1: outlier. Yeah.
0: By the 1900s, the average married woman could expect to bear four children, which was half of what her mothers could expect to have. Right. And then the numbers just continue to fall from thereafter. Right. At the beginning of the 1900s, infant mortality was in a crisis in Canada. In 1921, almost one in every 10 infants did not live to see their first birthday. And this was partially the result of industrialization and urbanization. At the turn of the 20th century, poor sanitary conditions prevailed uh, in many cities and allowed for rapid spread of contagious diseases. I
1: feel like in cities more so than rurally. Yeah, for sure. You just
0: have concentrations of people. And so a newborn is going to be one of the most
1: affected by
0: disease like that. Medical health officers who advocated for good hygiene and disease prevention worked with mothers to overcome this situation. Namely, they created plans to educate future mothers and asked them to consult physicians as soon as they believed they were pregnant. This medicalization of pregnancy and childbirth had several effects, namely the transition of childbirth from homes to hospitals. Okay. Today, childbirth is the main cause of hospitalization in Canada. (laughs) apparently yeah. like that's crazy
1: but it's one of the only things you kind of have to go to a hospital for i guess
0: so like Unless you get you hurt can, i guess i just think people get hurt more than they're giving birth But i guess like, but babies are being know. born
1: every day dude that's true
0: <laughs> in 2018 four to seven in a thousand live birth cases resulted in infant mortality which is still
1: in what year high.
0: 2018 i don't like that like seven out of a thousand i don't like those numbers also, in 2018, 32 in 372,329 live birth cases, aka uh, 0.009%, in Canada resulted in maternal mortality linked <sighs> to pregnancy, um, childbirth, or the aftermath. So oh, like things are looking okay, better for moms. <laughs> yeah, this rate was slightly higher than it had been in 2014. Which was at 0.006 percent. Okay. Uh, this increase could have resulted from several factors. Some physicians said it was due to the advanced age of mothers. So the older you yeah. are, the higher risk kind of birth it is. Yeah. Other observers thought it could have been caused by the increase in cesarean sections and unnecessary interventions. So now we want too much shit going on. Right. <laughs> Cut me up, but you shouldn't. Yeah, but want you that. shouldn't.
1: Just <laughs> have your baby.
0: Today, more and more expectant parents opt for home birthing. However, the demand is too high for the supply of trained midwives. Right. In Canada, women can give birth with the help of a midwife in any province or territory, except for the Yukon and Prince Edward Island.
1: Interesting. Not who I expected. <laughs> Naturally, I expected Quebec because, like, they yeah. don't want anything that anybody else has here in be Canada. Different. They just like to be different. <laughs> Yeah, I really
0: PEI you can't get a midwife i guess in those regions parliamentarians and healthcare professionals are increasingly discussing the project to regulate the midwife profession but yeah. at the moment i believe it's just not it's I was gonna not say allowed.
1: well in pei i think there's like two hospitals on pei really which makes you so close to a hospital why would you have a midwife i guess so that's true <laughs> i was gonna say i was like that's not a lot I was yeah like, it, it is. is a small place <laughs> it's very small
0: <laughs> They have the good hospital and the bad hospital. Right. <laughs>
1: the number one hospital in
0: Prince Edward Island <laughs> out of two. It's
1: like, yeah, or it's like being like, we're the number two hospital in all of Prince Edward Island. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. Number two. I don't know how many hospitals they have, but. Well,
0: that's that's the story of midwifery in Canada. I hated it. I feel very uncomfy. I'm so uncomfortable, and I'm so grateful to be on my period My vagina (laughs) hurts, yeah. (laughs) That's not going to make it. I'm going to have to cut that out. I'm going to listen back to that and be like, (laughs) Well, that was fun. (laughs) It wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, I had a good time with you, but I never want to do this one again. Nope.
1: Uh, I never want to talk about it.
0: I never might will not, watch not even this, listen it. to it again. No, uh, I- I'm I'll okay. listen to it
1: once through, and then I probably won't again. Uh, but I recommend all of you do and tell your friends about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen to this episode of the podcast and share it with all your friends, please, please, please. That'd be great.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're looking for more information about the Minute Women, please give us a follow. We are on Instagram at Minute Women Podcast. Same on Facebook, and then we are on Twitter at the Minute Women. Uh, We also have a fabulous, fantastic website full of merch and people are starting to get their merch. It's so exciting.
0: I drink out of my Minute Women coffee mug every morning now. It's so fun.
1: It's so cute. We see you wearing it and putting your stickers up and we love that. And uh, we want to see more pictures. So if you have Minute Women merch, please send us a photo of yourself with it. We'd love to share it on our social channels. We also have a website, which is www.minutewomenpodcast.ca there you can check out all of the episodes all of the um minutes that we cover and all the resources grace uses for each episode so give that a little look-see too
0: i'm also gonna say i've been lazy about putting up my sources but it will change i promise i have them all saved i just haven't written them up It'll be available. We're all doing
1: our best, Grace. We're We're all just just doing our best. If you really want the sources, shoot us a message on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and uh, we will happily get them to you. We'll send them to you via Express. Yeah. And
0: yeah, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. If it's an option, please rate and review the podcast. Please. Other than buying things from our Tea Public store, which you can find the link to on our Instagram, that is the best way to support the podcast right now. So just let us know what you think, and you can always tune in every Wednesday for for a new episode
1: yeah and it's so good to be back i missed you and i've missed our listeners even though i don't really get to see them here but i know they're listening (laughs) i miss them spiritually thank you for that
0: (laughs) well we'll see you next week bye You listening, you it's, it's gross. <laughs> it was gross. It was gross. That nice.
1: that <laughs> was oh gross. I remember that, that one so well. Yeah, wow. it's, oh, it's just traumatizing.